hey, I want you guys, and I'm going to start off kind of on a downer note. I'm going to ask you guys to go back in your mind, in your file folder. Some of us, we've got to look a little bit deeper. Some of us, it's right there. As Davis said, my sin is always before me. But I want you to think about the most embarrassing, the most humiliating, and the most consequential incident or event in, or events in your life. These are the ones that you are at fault for. These are the ones that you chose to do and to be disobedient from what you knew to be right. Do you have it locked in? I will tell you, I've got a number of them in my life, but I'm not gonna share them with you and I don't want you to share them with us because we all are not sure what the statute of limitations are on some of these, okay? Thank you. It was a joke, okay? Yeah. Now, with that locked in your mind, this is going to be one, at least one of these, if needed, a combination of the three of these, or maybe they're all three. I will tell you that most of my greatest blunders, my greatest, what, what's that? Follies, follies. Now, I'll just say I just, where I gooned up life, okay? Let's just go with that. Falls underneath actually all three of these, but maybe this will resonate with each of you. You were somewhere you know you shouldn't have been. You were with someone or someones you knew you shouldn't have been with. And last of all, you were doing something that you knew you should not have been doing. Does that resonate? Can you see that in the decisions that you've made? With that in mind, we are going to look at Jonah because Jonah was doing what he shouldn't have been doing, he was with people he shouldn't have been doing. And he was doing things he knew he shouldn't be doing. All right? He was not where he was supposed to be. He was not with the right people. And it was a train wreck for him. Now, the good news is, most of you are familiar with the story of Jonah. Jonah does eventually come around, kind of. All right? And it would have been a lot easier for him if he had just started with the instructions that God gave him. Instead, he chose to do the hard way. I don't know about y'all, but I like that too. Don't know why, don't know why, but sometimes I gotta make things a lot harder than what they need to be. With that in mind, we're gonna be in scripture. I'm gonna read from a new version. I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible, um, but it will be on the screens here. If you've got your Bible apps, go ahead and open those up and everything. But let's go ahead and start in chapter one, verse one. And this is, the word of Jonah, the word of God as presented by Jonah. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because their evil has come up before me. Jonah got up to flee to Tarsus from the Lord's presence. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarsus. He paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarsus from the Lord's presence. Now, let me give you just a quick little geography lesson here. 
I've got a map that is uh, going to be on behind me. What Jonah did is he went from what could have been about a day and a half, two-day walk up to Nineveh, chose to go the long route. What he chose to do was to go from where he started down to Joppa, which is on the coast, and then at that point, he hopped on a boat and tried to go to the farthest point known to mankind at that time, which is Tarsus, which is current day southwestern coast of Spain. Nineveh, many of you may know this, and some of you have also had the great pleasure of visiting there within the last decade, is Mosul in Iraq, in modern day Iraq. But at the time, this is part of Assyria, and there is no love lost between the Assyrian people and the Israelites and the Hebrews. And what Jonah chose to do when God said, get up and go, he chose to Gideon out and go to Spain. Now, I don't know about any of y'all, but how many of us have been given directions that we knew exactly what we were supposed to do, and because we chose to decide what was best, we went the opposite direction? Now, maybe it's just me, but I know I can do stupid, and there are things that God has talked to me about that I know in my very spirit that I should be doing something because his word has told me and it's convicted me in my heart, but I chose to go the opposite direction. And I will tell you that has never, ever worked out well. There's always a sense of uneasiness and there's actually a sense of confusion that comes with that. And we're gonna see that with Jonah, that there is a sense of confusion that goes with it. So Jonah is now on a boat and he's headed out. He's going to go somewhere at the coast of Spain. But God has a completely different plan. And so as we go on and we continue reading in verse 4, the word says, but the Lord threw a great wind onto the sea. I love that word picture. Threw. Maybe it's a baseball thing. Yeah. Okay, but he threw a great wind onto the sea and such a great storm arose on the sea that the ship threatened to break apart. The sailors were afraid and each cried out to his God. They threw the ship's cargo into the sea to lighten the load. Meanwhile, Jonah had gone down to the lowest part of the vessel and had stretched out and fallen into a deep sleep. The captain approached him and said, what? are you doing asleep? Get up! These are the exact same commands that God gave Jonah at the very beginning. Get up. And in your versions, whatever uh, version of scripture you're reading, there should be get up followed by an exclamation mark. It is a command. And so Jonah, there was no denying what God's intention was for Jonah, but yet he still chose not to do that. The captain tells Jonah, get up, call on your God, and maybe this God will consider us and we won't perish. Now, I will tell you, there's a play on words here that sometimes get lost in the English translations. 
but you'll see this as you begin to read through this. There are two times that Jonah is given this command, get up. One from God and the other is from the captain. And you will see that Jonah's reaction is just the opposite. He goes down. Instead of up, he goes down. It is the idea that Jonah is truly doing the very opposite of what God is asking him to do. Get up and go to Nineveh. He chose to go down to Joppa and out to Tarsus. The captain says, get up, because he chose, because Jonah chose to be in the belly of the ship in a sound sleep. I'm amazed at this. There are so many times that we can justify in our minds that we are doing the right thing for the right reasons when we know that we are not. But we can justify it in our minds, and when we justify it, there is a sense of peace. And I will tell you that that sense of peace comes from, I've just made a decision. It may not be the right decision, but I made a decision. And I believe that is what's going on with Jonah. Jonah has said, listen, I know what my instructions are. I know what God wants me to do, but I ain't doing it. Ever had somebody that you were told you need to forgive? but in your mind, they just didn't deserve it? That one hurts. That one hurts. When Jesus tells me that if somebody has something against me, I need to go and lay my gift at the altar and go be reconciled with that person and then come back and offer my gift to the Lord, those are the scriptures that I'm not comfortable with, especially when somebody has done something to me. I am content in having that resentment against them. I believe this is part of what Jonah's doing. I know I'm doing the right thing. God, you don't know what you're doing because this Nineveh, these are the Assyrians. These are cruel, vicious people that want to eliminate Israel from the map. I'm not going. But eventually, there would be no peace with Jonah. Again, there's often, when we finally make the first decision, we're good until... Now, there's three points in this sermon that I want you guys to get, and it all have to do with disobedience. And the first one is this, is that disobedience affects more than me. Disobedience affects more than me. Now, I will tell you, in those moments in our life, when confusion hits us, do not allow confusion to mask your disobedience. Do not allow your confusion to mask disobedience to God. Jonah goes on here in just a second. 
But there is such a truth of us wanting to do what we want to do when we want to do it. And I know you guys have heard me say that. You'll hear me say it a thousand more times because it affects everything we do. When we place ourselves in the position of God or we place ourselves in the idea that I know better than anyone else, we are elevating ourselves above others. And that often doesn't fall out well. And if we ever elevate ourselves above God, that never works out well. As Jason and I were talking about this, he goes, listen, if you're doing wrong in the eyes of God, you're wrong. As only Jason can do it, he's just right to the punch. If you're doing wrong, you're wrong. Though we can justify so many times this is one of the things that we need to understand also is that in our disobedience, when we are disobeying God, when, we, when God is speaking to us and showing us the things that he wants us to do, love our neighbor, to worship and to seek God, for us to not engage in sinful practices, our actions affect others. So many times, one of the things that our justification is, in our minds, I'm not hurting anybody. I'm just doing my own thing. I'm not hurting anybody. Do you realize that your sins, your actions, your negative actions, your behaviors have the ability to directly affect a minimum of 12 people that are closest to you? Family, friends, loved ones. Within addiction circles, and it can be any type of addiction. It can be drugs, it can be alcohol, it can be gambling, it can be pornography, it can be food, it can be, you name it. You are affecting 12 people directly around you. Your actions, my actions directly affect my wife, that directly affect my four children, that directly affect my six grandchildren that directly affect my, the staff that I work with, and ultimately this church. The domino effect is incredible. So when you're thinking to yourself, I'm not hurting anybody, I'm gonna ask that you would rethink that because our actions do have consequences. And God doesn't want us to experience those consequences, but yet he will allow us to do that. And as only God can, he can turn them around for our good. So many times when we goon things up, and I love that word, when we goon things up, it can eventually become one of the best things that ever happens to us. But that learning through trial and error is always, always painful. Think about, you've got what you did in your mind. Yes, it affected you, but what did it do to the people that were closest to you? There are some things we can do that can make others incredibly angry at us. And I will tell you that anger is a secondary emotion. They become fearful of us. Fear invokes anger because fear is one of those fight or flight things. Fear invokes anger. 
There's a sense of helplessness in our loved ones. When we see the writing on the wall, when we see the train wreck that is coming, but our loved one keeps on going forward and there's nothing you can do to prevent the train wreck and it happens. That is a sense of helplessness that you have poured in to somebody else. Not only to say what we're doing to ourselves and we're thinking it's no big deal. What could possibly go wrong until it does? And for Jonah, for his disobedience, it ended up that he was willing out of his own selfishness to neglect an entire people group because he knew better than God. I ain't going to Nineveh. Those people are creeps. Those people are creepy. Those people are nasty. Whatever word you want to use to put that, but he justified in his mind and he chose to say, these people are not worthy of the gospel. I think that is the greatest sign of, I don't even know if it's hate as much as it is indifference. To despise somebody that much that we would not be willing to share Jesus. Our disobedience affects more than just us. The account in Jonah goes on in verses seven through nine. This is the crew now speaking to Jonah in the midst of this great storm. There's great panic that is going on with them. They're fearful for their life. They're trying everything they can just to survive and to make it through this. And Jonah is down asleep. He finally comes up and I guess he finally gets his hair mussed up and the wind and the rain and all of that that's going on. And this is what the crew begins to talk to him about. He said, come on, the sailors said to each other, let's cast lots. Then we'll know who is to blame for this trouble we're in. So they cast lots and the lots singled out Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us who is to blame for this trouble we're in. What is your business and where are you from? What is your country and what people are you from? And he answered them, I am a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, the God of the heavens who made the sea and the dry land. Now I will tell you that disobedience will indeed be found out. Your disobedience, my disobedience, our disobedience It will be found out. It happened with Jonah. Now, the way that it came out with Jonah is that they cast lots, which is a real fancy way to say they flipped the coin until finally somebody lost. Another way to do it, rock, paper, scissors. And you lose, but I will tell you also that God used this often to display his desire and his will to be played out in those times. And Jonah's sin and Jonah's disobedience was absolutely found out. And now he had to deal with that. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5, Paul reminds us that Uh, he, speaking of Jesus, will bring to light what is hidden in the darkness, 
We think that we can get away with this. Jonah thought in his disobedience that he would get away from it and I'm just gonna go to Spain, I'm gonna set up my beach chair, I'm gonna drink my pina coladas and I'm just gonna enjoy the sunset. That is not the plan. What we do in darkness will eventually be brought to the light The key is, will we allow it to stay in the darkness and fester and become larger to where it's almost impossible for us to regroup from that? In our stubbornness, am I willing to say, no, not me. I told you this story years years ago when I was working in construction. I worked for two different construction companies, and no kidding, the first job site for each construction company I worked on, I walked in wet concrete. Oh, I know, I'm a knucklehead, I'm a knucklehead. The second one was the best though, because I stepped on a wet curb, and the curb just collapsed, and I kept on going after I'm like, oh no. I had three people come up and talk to me. Did you step in the concrete? I didn't step in the concrete. Did you step in the concrete? I did not step in the concrete. Did you step in the concrete? I did not step in the concrete. Well, you got wet concrete on your boot, we just assumed. Oh my lands, there is no coming back from that. Yep. The only thing I needed to happen differently, there should have been a rooster crowing over here. (laughs) But this is Jonah. Jonah's sin and Jonah's disobedience was easily brought out in the open. And then once it's out in the open, he has to tell them, well, yeah, it was me. It was me. But it goes on because disobedience, not only will it be revealed, but something needs to happen to our disobedience. Disobedience must be dealt with. As the story goes on, the writer says, Jonah answered them. And the question that was posed to him is, what are we supposed to do? Well, throw me overboard. Well, we can't do that. Do you see how now they're caught in a no-win situation? We don't want to kill you. We throw you over, you're going to drown. We're going to do everything we can to get to shore so we can all make it back. And you see how this is affecting them, but it's not making any difference. And so they're asking him, what do we do? And he says, pick me up and throw me into the ocean so that it it will calm down for you, for I know that I'm to blame for this great storm that is against you. Now, I will tell you, finally, Jonah is beginning to take some responsibility for his actions. Well, yeah, I guess it is kind of my fault, but, you know. Then they picked up Jonah, and they threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped raging. Disobedience must be dealt with. And sometimes we, as people, when we know people are being disobedient, we have to establish boundaries. Because if not, we will get caught up in their disobedience. 
And we find ourselves in a no-win situation just as these sailors did. As I was reading this, the one thing that irritated me about Jonah in this, and I'm borrowing from the words of Job, actually the words of God as he's about ready to speak to Job, and he says, man up. I'm about ready to ask you some questions. Jonah, man up. Your disobedience has brought all this and you can't even man up enough to get yourself off the ship to save others. See, when I choose to be disobedient, it is selfishness because it is all about me. And I'll even put the emphasis, well, if you want things to change, you gotta do this. You need to do this for me. You need to do that. You need to do this. You need to do that. You need to do that. No, 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 no. It is my responsibility. It is your responsibility. It is our responsibility to act and to do appropriately and not live a life of disobedience. So Jonah is finally thrown into the ocean. But what's beautiful here is that God didn't allow Jonah to die. Now we know the end of chapter one, this is what Jonah is known for, spending three days and three nights in the belly of a fish. Now I will tell you, I have done some really bad things. I have been in some pretty nasty places but I ain't never been in the belly of a fish. How bad do you gotta be to be swallowed alive? But I will tell you this, and some of you will understand this. It may not be a belly of the fish, but it is the lowest, darkest, ugliest, stankiest, nastiest place you ever could have imagined, and you found yourself right there. There is nothing more perplexing. There is nothing more disturbing. There is nothing more sad than to wake up one morning and look at the reflection in the mirror and have no idea who that is looking back at you. When we choose to do what we want to do, God will allow us. God will allow us to do that. But boy, we cannot blame him when we end up in that place, when we end up in the belly of our own fish as only God can do though, no matter how far we've run from him or how far we are trying to run from him, we cannot. And I will tell you those words are either a blessing to some of you or a curse. If you are attempting to run from God, those words are a curse. But if you're at your place and you're in the own, your own belly of the fish, 
and you're crying out to God, he's there. Psalm 139. It doesn't matter how far east or how high west or how low south I go. God, you're there. Is it a blessing for you or is it a curse? I will tell you, I think there's some of you this morning that that is a blessing because you have found yourself and you're here today or you're watching online or you're down in Fredericksburg and you have been running from God and you know you've been disobedient and you have found yourself in the own, your own belly of the fish. Are you willing to cry out to God? Because if you do, he shows up. And then I like to say, and then he really gets to show off. Because he then, when we turn our will and our life over to the care of him, he begins to transform us from the inside out. There's a passage in Acts 26. Saul, actually he is now Paul. Paul, who many of you are familiar with, wrote the vast majority of the New Testament. But Paul, before he became a Christian, he was known as Saul. And he was a very, very zealot, very devoted Jew. And in Saul's mind, he was doing exactly what God would have him do. And that was to stop this new movement known as the Christians, known as the church, known as the ecclesia. And so Paul was there, Saul, Saul was there when Stephen, the first Christian, was killed for his faith. Not only was he there, but he was holding the garments, the jackets of those who were causing all sorts of harm to Stephen, who had buried or had dug this little pit and thrown Stephen into it and they were heaving stones on him and killing him. And Saul is quietly going, because he really thought he was doing the right thing. He continued to pursue the church and he was trying to arrest and kill these people that he thought were blaspheming against Yahweh, against Jehovah, against God. In his wisdom, he had justified everything he was doing, but on the road to Damascus, as he is going to collect and to persecute more Christians, he has an encounter with the living God. Saul is totally transformed. His disobedience is completely revealed to him. And in doing that, his name is changed from Saul to Paul. In Acts 26, Paul is before King Agrippa. He is under house arrest for preaching the gospel. 
And now he knows that he is not in disobedience, but he is doing exactly what the Father's will is for his life. And he is preaching to Agrippa. He is preaching to the king, and he is sharing the gospel with the man that has him under house arrest. And these, and he, what he does is the best gospel that he could tell is this is my story. And so this is what he says. Acts 26, 13 through 15 King Agrippa, while on the road at midday, on the road to Damascus, I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun shining around me and those traveling with me. They all saw it. We all fell to the ground and I heard a voice speaking to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. I asked, who are you, Lord? And the Lord replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now, I have read that story a number of times, and I never claimed to be the sharpest tack in the box. But I always read goad as gourd. It's got to be hard to kick against the gourds. I had no idea that what, what that was. And this week, I'm actually reading, and I'm like, oh, it's goad. It's not gourd. Now, I am sure that most of you know what a, uh, a goat is, but for the three of you and myself that don't, I'm going to tell you, okay? The goat is, is a long stick. It could be as long as 10 feet long. It's made out of hardwood. On one side, there's a flat edge, and the farmer uses it when he is plowing the field. And when the blades on the plow get all gunked up with mud and dirt and grass and all that stuff, he'll stop the oxen, he'll take his goat, and he'll knock off all that mud. But on the other end of the stick, he has whittled it down to a very sharp point. And the idea here is when the ox stops, starts drifting offline the farmer can take that goad and give him a little stick in the rear end. And the idea is the ox goes, oh, I don't want that, I'll slide over. And when the ox starts drifting again, he'll do it again, and the ox will slide over. And the ox keeps doing that, and a farmer's gonna keep on sticking that doggone ox with that thing until he makes the adjustment. Saul, every time God's hitting with the goad, kind of kicked it off and he kept going his own way. Do you see the application? Do you see? that maybe it's become so hard. Your life has become so hard. It's because you're not paying attention and you're trying to kick off where God is trying to redirect you. So again, I come back to this idea about our perceived confusion. Why does this life have to be so hard? 
may very well be because you are disobedient. And God is not going to make it easy for you to keep going your own way. Now, I will tell you, and it's not in the scripture here, but I think with Jonah, I think there were a number of times where God was saying, dude, what are you doing? When Jonah chose to go down to Joppa, I'm thinking there were thoughts going through his head. I shouldn't be doing this. When Jonah went to the ticketing office to get his ticket for the cruise ship to Tarsus, when he is paying for that, I probably shouldn't be doing this. And he gets on the boat, I probably shouldn't be doing this. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to go hide. I'm going to go down in the belly of the, of the ship, and I'm going to try to fall asleep because if I don't think about it, then, you know, it's not really happening. If I can just ignore it long enough, I'll be okay. Anybody? But all the while, God is hitting Jonah. And he throws a storm. And he throws, you can't hide from this anymore. They just played rock, paper, scissors. You lost. You're getting thrown over. And it wasn't until he found himself in the belly of a fish that he said, hmm. Maybe it's me. Church, I'm going to wrap this up real quick. You know what the application of this message is for your life. I don't know what situation you're in. I don't know what decisions you've made. I don't know what disobedience you're in. I know my disobedience. And I will tell you this, as I get older... I'm tired of fighting and kicking against the goad. The goad is actually helpful because you're like, oh, okay, sorry. Thought I was going the right way. What are you kicking against? Define it. Name it. Claim it. And give it to God. Because this is the deal. No matter how far you may be running from God, he is always there. And I hope that you'll understand this, that that is a blessing. Even in our worst mistakes, God is there and he is there to redeem and restore and to bring life back into us when we choose to be disobedient instead of choosing life we choose death. And God is saying, no, I am all about bringing dead things to life. And I want you to have life and I want you to have it in abundance. And so today, my question is for you, are you being disobedient? And if you are, stop. Pretty simple. We're gonna have the prayer team up here in just a minute. I'm going to be up here in just a minute. If you have been disobedient and you no longer want to kick against the goad, come up here. Let us pray with you for you. And if you have been running from God and today you realize I need Jesus, 
I've been running so far from him and life has gotten so hard and I don't even recognize where I am or who I am, then today is the day for you to surrender yourself. Quit fighting against all of those stabs. Come, we will walk you through what it is to follow Jesus and we will embrace you and we will walk this journey with you because that's what we do as a community. That's what we do as a church, amen? Amen. Father God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the lesson from Jonah. And God, in our disobedience, may we surrender to you. May we allow you to transform us from the inside out. May we not rest on our own. May we stop playing God because we are not. God, may we remove ourselves to allow you to be God in our life. And in doing so, it may not be easy but it certainly isn't gonna be as painful as what it has been. And so God, I'm asking for anybody that needs prayer or needs you today that they would have the courage to come forward, if they're watching online, to hit that, that icon, that link, and let us know because we want to walk with you as you begin to walk with Jesus. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. And all that agree, say, amen. amen.